All right, legends. Welcome back, dude, to yet another episode of Get Around Me. What a time it is to be alive, truly. And we have some exciting administration off the rip today, dude. Beautiful news, darling boy of the pod, Irish wolfhound Rowan Arneal is hitting the road by himself. He's spreading those rat bag wings. I feel like my boy is growing up in front of my eyes. you got to cherish these times. Although I still have to tell him to clean his bloody room sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, Rowan is hitting the road without me. Go check him out. He's doing a split bill show in Newcastle, July 23, uh, with Brisbane comic Sean Smith, who's an absolute gun. She's like friends with Doug Stanhope and just a wild girl on stage. So check that out, July 23 in Newcastle at the Newcastle Comedy Club. Going to be a bloody good show, especially for all those people who have been saying, yeah, I love Rowan Arneal's stand-up comedy. I could do without the 53 minutes of Billy Darcy directly afterwards, you know? (laughs) So if that's you, if you fall into that category where you've been coming to my solo shows just to see Rowan, then get up to Newcastle, the Newcastle Comedy Club, July 23. And while we're here, beautiful friend of the show, Freddie McManus, is doing a Melbourne encore of his award-nominated show, Freddie McManus is Stoppable on August 4 in Melbourne. So check those out. I'll put the links for those shows in the show notes of this podcast. Very exciting stuff. Rowan is actually gravely ill this week, and there is no second half with Rowan, unfortunately. Uh, He's really ill. The one week he had to promote his Newcastle show, apparently the guy's got a cough. So whatever. He's an absolute tapeworm of a man, and I have picked up the slack as per. But it's it's an exciting week. It's an exciting time to be Billy Darcy. I'm simply overwhelmed. You've got you've got the Ashes. You've got UFC. You've got State of Origin. Okay? If I meet a chick with a fringe tonight, I'm pretty much that's me done. The tools will be down for God knows how long. So everything is pretty much catered to my interests at the moment. I'm loving it. Although I will say I am not particularly over the moon about State of Origin tonight. Last time State of Origin was on, I said, we're going to win. I didn't didn't even say we're going to win. I think I just said we're going to have a crack. You know, I didn't say the most outrageous things anyone's ever heard about a game of rugby league football. And still, somehow, the New South Wales Blues managed to, to arch their back under the extremely low expectations I set up. So I'm not doing this thing where I talk about Origin before the game and then the podcast comes out on Thursday. And everyone's laughing. Oh, look at Bill. Look at Bill. So hopeful. Hey, look at him. He's so excited. He's so excited to watch a game. And I don't care that we lost game two. I care that we didn't even have a freaking dig. You know, it was just like death by a thousand cuts. It was six nil. Then 15 minutes later, it was 12 nil. Then 15 minutes later, it was 20 nil. And I'm just sitting there going, why the fuck have I had seven beers on a Wednesday for this? Do you know what I mean? So, whatever. I'm not interested in State of Origin tonight. I will watch it because if you cut me open, I bleed blue. Do you know what I mean? It's called having a bit of bloody patriotism for your state. 
let's say Albo himself gives me the call and says, mate, China are invading through the South Pacific. We need you to go, Bill. You're not going to win, okay? It's going to be on Fox Sports. Ratings will be poor. You don't get to choose your battles based on based on the outcome. I'm not a fair weather supporter. I think we're going to probably get pumped tonight, but whatever. I was born in this state. It's not a choice. It's an obligation. So I honestly think Rowan's sick because of how poor the New South Wales Origin boys have prepared for this game. I think our team selection was so all over the map and the culture around Freddie Fittler has become so toxic that I think our beautiful, empathetic boy, Rowan Arneal, has been struck down with illness because of it. That's how poor the culture is around the group. They say, how's the feeling around the camp? My response would be, Rowan can't get out of bed, okay? That's how the feeling around the fucking camp is. But yeah, I hate Fred Fiddler. I don't even know why. I am a News Corp drone at this point. News Corp tells me to hate Freddie Fiddler, and it's all I think about. All I think about is when we can get rid of this pelican, because Rupert Murdoch told me to, guys. All right? Buzz Rothfield tells me to jump. I say, Buzz, how high? How high, Buzz? So, yeah, Origins tonight. I'll honestly be more pissed off if they win because then it's like, oh, wow, you can do it, you know? But I'm not going out on a limb with any positive positive uh, outlooks on a pre-recorded podcast. I've got too much egg on my face with my predictions week in, week out to go in on this one, I'll tell you that. But anyway, I thought I'd just give a quick update on The Ultimate Fighter, which I am continuing to persist with. It's the reality show where UFC fighters fight it out for a UFC contract. And each week, basically, we are introduced to two white trash Americans. We get to meet their families in a series of emotional video packages. And then that man who said he's fighting for his family, and this is his last chance at providing them a good life... We then get to see him get knocked out in just ferocious circumstances uh, with with a better life for his family, slipping through his fingers as a Brazilian man connects with his chin. But I thought I'd just give you a quick update. I'm continuing to watch this show. It's not a good show. I'm not recommending anyone watch it. Honestly, if I hadn't finished The Office a couple of months ago, I would not be watching The Ultimate Fighter. I'm in one of those moments where I just don't really have anything to watch. Like I just sort of... I just go on YouTube for like 20 minutes and then just go, I guess I'll just go to bed. That's my viewing habits at the moment. It's a dark, dark place to be. I just haven't quite ticked over to the point where I'm ready to watch How I Met Your Mother or Scrubs again. But once once I can get into one of those again, you know with shows you watch like every second year or something and you just know when it's time to go again? I have been getting the urge to watch How I Met Your Mother most emotional moments compilations on YouTube. And that tells me that it's almost time to rev the engines again and help this absolute schlep Ted Mosby find the love of his life, okay? So I'm not quite there yet, but once I am, I can stop watching Ultimate Fighter and 90 Day Fiance, which I'm looking forward to getting rid of. But until then, I will continue to persist with this program. This week, we had this guy, I can't even remember his name, but he's the white trashest white trash guy we've had so far. I'm not making this up. He has like five kids, like two stepkids, three non-step kids, blended family. You know, in the Midwest of America, they just take families and they just chuck them in a bullet 
and everyone just goes along to get along. It's actually quite a beautiful thing. And this guy has three kids, right? Three of the five. I'm not making this up. I know on this podcast, often I will exaggerate for comedic effect. I put my hand up. I do it. I am not making this up. He has three kids. They're called... (laughs) The three children are called Brayden, Raiden, and Zayden. (laughs) I am not making this up. Brayden, Raiden, and Zayden. And this guy, this guy's like 35. He's one of the, the veterans on the show. And they've got him. He's up against number one seed, Conor McGregor's apprentice, Lee Hammond. And like, it goes from like this white, white trash guy on a farm, like, like Raiden, Raiden, come here, y'all. Raiden, Zayden, and Brayden, we got to feed the goats, y'all. And then it's like him kissing his wife, being like, my family is all I have. And then it cuts to Conor McGregor's apprentice, Lee Hammond. And he's like, I have been training with Conor McGregor since I was 12. This is my destiny. All I do is fight. He's like 26. It's just him hitting bags. Dude, the punching bag is just disintegrating. You know, he's running through Dublin. All the locals are like, go Lee, go Lee. And then Lee Hammond's like, I will destroy this man. I have have no doubt in my mind. And Conor McGregor's like shadow boxing behind him just like doing cocaine and having unprotected sex while Lee Hammond is shadow boxing as well. Oh my God. This guy from the Midwest is dead. He walks out, the Midwest guy, father of Braden, Raiden and Zayden. He walks out holding a picture of his family to the rig. He's holding it up. He's kissing it. He's taking photos with the photo. You know, Michael Chandler's like, do it for them. Do it for them. You son of a bitch. <laughs> and I'm watching this guy. I can't do this again, dude. I cannot watch a man put it all on the line for his family just to get killed. It's it's starting to chip away at my soul, brother. Okay? I can't do this anymore. I've got nothing left in the tank. I'm all out of emotional energy. Anyway, Lee Hammond, the bell goes. Lee Hammond. This Lee Hammond clocks into this fight like he's clocking in for a rush hour shift at a at a McDonald's like just on a Friday night, just going to work, you know, triple cheeseburgers, Big Macs, other varieties of McDonald's item I can't think of right now, chicken nuggets, okay, he's on the fryer, dude, Lee Hammond's on the fryer and he's making burgers, that's two different stations, guys, the shift manager's not going to like this, but that's Lee, he's got all the tools, okay, he's got all the tools, and he is beating the absolute fuck out of this guy, the Midwest dad, whose name escapes me, he spent the whole first round with Lee Hammond on top of him, just mauling him. Lee Hammond looks like one of those gorillas that gets out of the out of the zoo enclosure, just makes a beeline for the first toddler it sees. It's not looking good, okay? Michael Chandler gives him a big rev up. The Midwest guy is just blood everywhere. It's not looking good at all. Lee Hammond's second round comes out. He's had his allotted 10-minute break you get at Macca's. Straight back into it. Deep fryer in one hand. Triple cheeseburgers being made with the other. It's unbelievable stuff. And then, bam, 30 seconds to go. The Midwest guy just reverses it. Chokes out Lee Hammond somehow out of fucking nowhere, dude. Out of fucking nowhere. Immediate, immediate. Get the family photo. He's kissing it. 
He's holding it up going, I did this for you, Raiden, Zayden, Brayden. I did this for y'all. Like, I'm crying. People on the street who can see my television are crying. I walk out. I'm just hugging this Brazilian guy. He watched the whole fight from the street. He said he loves UFC, but he can't afford KO. I said, mate, I can be your KO. You just roll past whenever you want to watch a bit of the Ultimate Fighter. I'll put a flag out the front. He said, can I come inside? I said, no, you cannot. No, you cannot. So there you go, guys. Just a heartwarming story on the Ultimate Fighter after five weeks of just vicious heartbreak. And I will continue to watch that show for some reason. Anyway. Oh, new dating term this week. That's what I was going to say. New dating term has been sent to me. It's a good one this week. Benching. Okay, I saw New Zealand stand-up comedian Melanie Bracewell did a joke about this. Very funny, Melanie Bracewell. I'm a fan. And benching, or binching, as Mel said. Uh, This is a great one. And it's actually a positive one because all these dating terms, they're so negative. It's just people getting mugged off relentlessly. So I love this one. Benching is basically where you are sort of seeing someone who you like and then you've also, you're sort of seeing someone you, you don't like as much, but you'll just see them like maybe once a fortnight, just text them every now and then. Bit of breadcrumbing, if you will, throwback to another term. And so you've got them on the bench, right? Now, I've heard this also being referred to as a roster uh, by some of the more toxic men I've hung around with in my time. And this is fantastic. Because this one's positive. You've got people coming and going. You're an alpha. You know? You got a, you got a backup misses, as it were. But because nothing's too serious, it's all above board. You know, there's a couple of blokes out there who said, Oh yeah, I'm I've got a woman I'm benchied at the moment. And I've unfortunately had to point out to them, Roger, that's your second family, brother. Okay? It's not benching if you've been married to one woman for twenty years, you have three kids and a mortgage. And then you have another woman who you've been seeing for seven and you have a child with her who you can't tell anyone about. That's not benching at all, mate. You've got a mistress and a second family. So it is only for, for those people who are casually dating. Um, but if you, if you are benching someone, congratulations. You are the person doing the mugging. I mean, everything's going great guns, dude. You know, maybe your, your first preference is busy on a Friday night. You go out, have a few beers with the lads, call up old Stacy, wing attack on the bench. She had a crap preseason, but who's to say she can't impress the selectors? So it's a very exciting term, this one. Uh, it's good to have some positive ones. And if you're the person who's being benched or you're on said bench, don't forget that, hey, squad players still get a hand on the trophy. Just look at Mitch Marsh. He was getting benched for weeks. Andrew McDonald's was edging this poor bloke taking him around England, texting him every now and then, going, do you want to get a beer later? Actually, Alex Carey just responded, I'm busy. Do you think Andrew McDonald and George Bailey ever like text Cameron Green to get a beer with him? And then if Cameron Green's busy, they text Mitch Mitch Marsh because he's being benched. (laughs) You know, it's a beautiful thing being benched. I've been on uh, a bench before for sure. I think the time I was benched, uh, that came to mind when I was thinking about this. I don't know if this is benching or just old school mugging, but I was like, sort of, I don't know if this is benching, but like a girl I had a big crush on would just go back to her ex-boyfriend all the time and just sort of mug me off. 
but we would hang out a bit. So I don't know if that's benching or if I'm just internalizing some trauma there. But either way, you you know, something's going on there. And if you were on someone's bench and you know it, as I was, mate, you got to put two feet in the ground and say, coach, put me in or I'm fucking, I'm taking the cash. I'm going to Saudi Arabia. Okay. What that is analogy for, I'm not sure, but you know, you don't want to be someone sort of uh, Kate's second boyfriend or whatever. That's bloody lame. And I remember when I was uh, actually this chick, when she kept going back to her ex-boyfriend, I'll tell you what really bothered me about it was I thought this guy was like a schlep. Like if, if he was like a jacked up NRL player, I reckon I would have been, I would have almost been keen to stay on the bench because it's like, yeah, there's a bit of a hierarchy on here. I understand the order of things. But this this chick's ex-boyfriend, I, I, I knew him or I'd met him a couple of times. I remember thinking, this guy's a nerd. You're going to bench Billy Darcy for this? I felt like they had like Marcus Harris opening the batting and I was Usman Khawaja. If I could continue to shoehorn cricket analogies into this dating segment. So... So that's what benching is, and I congratulate anyone uh, who's able to pull that off. It's exciting stuff. Okay, up next, a couple of yarns from the week that was. Did some gigs Saturday night out there, riding next to your show. It's exciting stuff. Tough work, tough work. I bombed in front of the June Rats on Monday, now that I'm thinking about it. But you got to be in there. you got to be working on it, working on the material. Anyway... I was following this guy, uh, this comedian on Saturday night. Tough follow. This guy, Brian Freeman from Brisbane. He's got cerebral palsy and he's an absolute killer stand-up comedian. Dude, absolutely hilarious. It was him then me. He's like, (laughs) oh, it was brutal for me. Like he's finishing up. So he does like seven minutes on having cerebral palsy and it's hilarious stuff. And he's like crowd surfing out of there. And then the MC's like, all right, up next, we're going we're gonna to keep things going. Here comes Billy Darcy. And then I get up there and I'm like, oh, so I'm single. <laughs> I don't know what it was about Brian's set, but something about what he was talking about really seemed to minimize the problems in my life in a way that became very apparent to everyone in the room. So tough Saturday night. I did two shows following him and then did one in between that was also quite tough sledding for its own reasons but yeah really fun in fact i'm being a drama queen because i had two pretty good sets following brian but but geez it was intimidating following the great man and anyway so that was really fun and then last night i went uh to a travel doctor sort of a bit of a segue on here so i'm going to central america next week which is very exciting uh the podcast will continue don't worry holiday series inbound Got some exciting guests coming your way. Uh, I'd like to tease the return of the snake, Pat Doherty. He had one of the best episodes of the year last year, so looking forward to that. And a couple of other special guests coming in. But yes, yeah, so I'm going to Central America, so I had to get some some vaccinations. And so I go to this travel doctor. And do you ever go to like a, a doctor where you're like, or not even a doctor, you just go to something. It could be a job interview. It could be anything where just the building itself is like not filling you with confidence. So I go into this like random office building. It's like a legal chambers. I don't even know. It's not a doctor's clinic. And I go up there and it's like level 10. And then it says, 
Ernst and Young lawyers, blah, 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 whatever, all these lawyers. And then just in paper, it says like the travel doctor guy or whatever, just in paper and like text her. I'm like, uh, I feel like I'm going to get mugged. But anyway, so I go into this, like, it's just like a random office and there's like a receptionist there. It's just like two rooms. I'm thinking, is this guy even a real doctor? It said on the email, I was booked in with Dr. Joe, no last name. So I'm thinking, sweet, I'm going to get like robbed and sexually assaulted and I will not even make it on my trip. So I'm, I'm nervous. I go in, there's just one receptionist guy and then a room with the door open and then that's the doctor's office. That's Dr. Joe. Um, the door is wide open. Like I can hear everything he's saying to this patient. Like he was telling this woman how her IBS symptoms could be worse in Southeast Asia or something. It's like, I shouldn't know this about this woman. I shouldn't know that she has an irritable bowel. And I, know, I also know everywhere she's going on her trip. If I was some sort of a psychopath, I could track her down and use her IBS symptoms to trap her or something. You know, luckily, luckily I'm not really in the business of, I don't know, stalking women across the globe. But I'm just saying that there was not a lot of doctor-patient confidentiality. Like the doors open, I'm like maybe a meter and a half from the consultation. So, I'm not sure about Dr. Joe's privacy practices. So, I go in. He's this older guy. Unbelievable office. Like, overlooking Sydney Harbour. I'm like, holy shit, dude. This is nice. Really nice. Almost too nice, okay? I've got my guard up because because sometimes with these travel doctors and the, the vaccinations and stuff, it can be a bit dodgy. Like, one time when me and Maka went to Southeast Asia... We went to two different doctors at the same medical clinic. And one guy was like, you need hepatitis B and C and you don't need hepatitis A and malaria pills. And then that's what my guy said. And then Macca's guy said, you absolutely need hepatitis A and malaria pills. You do not need hepatitis B and C. Now, they're just examples. Don't, don't DM me if that's wrong. But like, we just got completely different medical advice. And... Also, malaria pills are just kind of a scam, in my opinion, depending on where you're going. But as soon as I walk in, the guy goes, uh, can I interest you in like 40 free rat COVID tests? I go, oh, not really. He goes, mate, just take them. They, the health department sends me like 2000 a month. I can't get rid of these things. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. So he gives me like two massive boxes of COVID tests. He goes, yeah, they expire in two weeks. I'm like, sweet, so I'll just get through fucking 40 COVID tests in three weeks. I have no symptoms, but anyway, knock on wood. So now I've got, I've got two boxes of COVID tests. He's like, he just starts like with these travel guys, sometimes they're just like almost pushing product on you. He's like, he's like, all right, you need hep A and typhoid. I go, yeah. And Maca had already got hep A and typhoid. So I knew that was living La Vida Loca, good to go on that. Then he goes... You'll need a medical kit to take with you. And I'm like, uh, this just feels like... Because he gave me a menu of what everything costs. It's like an $80 medical kit. It's like, mate, I'll just buy a fucking Band-Aid over there. You know, I go, oh, my my mates... But the thing with doctors is very hard to disagree with a doctor. Who am I to disagree with a doctor, you know? And I'm like, oh, my mate already got a medical kit. So we're good on that. He's like, this one has, has the antibiotic for diarrhea. Your mate's kit won't have that. Are you sure? You'll need it. You'll need it. And it's like, mate, I feel like this is, I feel like I'm talking to like 
a, a, a skincare salesman at a Maya rather than a, a medical professional right now. I said, mate, put it away, okay? Like, he's wearing, like, merch, you know? He's like, do you want a hat? I'm like, I don't want a fucking hat, mate, okay? But he, he's actually a legend, but he's obviously just just in there to fucking make a bit of coin as well. And then he goes, you're going to need malaria pills. And malaria pills, I'm sorry. And look, I don't want to get malaria. Knock on wood for that as well. I'm not in the market for malaria. But malaria pills, last time I bought these things, this bloke said, right, you're going to Southeast Asia, you'll need malaria pills. You got to take two a day or whatever. You got to take them like a week before, a week after your trip, plus two a day for your whole trip. The side effects last time I got these things were, and I didn't end up taking them because the side effects were so poor. The side effects were extreme sensitivity to the sun and alcohol, right? And it's like, mate, all I want to do is get hammered in the sun. What the fuck are you talking about? Sensitive to sun and alcohol. Do these things also make me scared to talk to British women? What the fuck is the point of this holiday, brother? Okay? Jesus Christ, get your head out of the sand. Oh, and they're 160 bucks, are they? Mate, just fuck it. I'll take four packs. Jesus Christ, dude. Okay? And I don't want this to come back to bite me in some horrific karmic thing. I don't want malaria. But I think unless you go into some rural farm and doing like hard labor without any mosquito spray, you should be sweet. So I said, mate, stop with the medical kit. Stop with the malaria pills. I've taken the COVID test with me, which was pretty good for me. There's no room in my bag. I'm going to have to carry these in my arms. This travel doctor was a wild guy. And he was actually a really interesting guy as well. Um, He went through Central America in the 60s or the 70s. I don't know how old he is. He said he did it 50 years ago. Dude, can you imagine going to like freaking... Guatemala in like 1973. You'd be taking your your life in your own hands. No internet or anything. I don't I, I don't know. I'm probably just sounding like a like a modern bitch right now, but it sounded pretty impressive to me. And he was saying Mexico City is actually not as dangerous as it used to be. And he was saying Venezuela is the big dangerous country at the moment. He just had a guy in his office recently um, who got kidnapped in Venezuela for seven days. Then they let him go. He went to the police station to report the kidnapping. And when he went in, one of his kidnappers was hanging out with the cops. So he said after that, he just ran to the airport, which I would have done in the first place. Okay. If I get kidnapped in Venezuela or anywhere else, again, knock on wood. But if I get kidnapped, as soon as you let me go, I go to the airport. I'm not like, I'm not reporting the crime. Okay. I thought that was wild that this guy was like, look, before I get the fuck out of here, I should report this to the authorities. Like, mate, what are you talking about? I'd be swimming for Australia at that point. But yeah, interesting travel doctor. And and watch watch out for these travel doctors, dude, because it felt like he was trying to help me slash make shitloads of money. And it still costs like fucking heaps. But anyway, keep your eyes up and uh, and your ear to the ground. Or whatever, I don't know. Next... Next segment, Legends, this podcast is brought to you by our mates at Manscaped. If you haven't heard already, it is a smooth sack summer. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're scaped from pubes to bum. That's right, this is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming are making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst in the smooth sack summer by going into manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping 
with the code Darcy. That's D-A-R-C-Y, all capitals. I've been using these products for bloody ages. So easy to use. The safety factor is massive. Like you don't have to worry about cutting open your Johnson because you're in a rush for a first date and you're backing yourself in. You know, got the light on the front there. I use it in the shower. You take it on the road. Can't speak highly enough of these products and just the ease of use, especially. That's my favorite part. And the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare that summer bod. They've built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming experience. They've got the Lawnmower 4.0, which I was just talking about. I use it all the time. It features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on off switch, a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention it's waterproof too, lads? Beach, lake, or shower, this razor will devour even the strongest of pubic hair. Now that you have the perfect haircut, we need Manscaped's liquid formulations to keep that freshness even at the hottest summer barbecues. Use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant to stay cool in the heat with a soothing aloe vera formula. It's the best in the business for the the below-the-waist freshness, and this clear, drying formula will keep looking good while smelling good. So once again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code Darcy at manscaped.com. That is 20% off and free shipping when you use the code Darcy, D-A-R-C-Y, all capitals, at manscaped.com. It's Smooth Sack Summer, boys, so get on board or get left behind, brother. Okay, up next, I'd like to talk about this NRL player media boycott. The players have stopped doing any media interviews at all uh, while the Rugby League Players Association further negotiates a collective bargaining agreement. So, I don't know a lot about this, to be honest. I'm not going to pretend to. I'm not going to pretend to be that into rugby league. But I love bloody sport politics, sports drama. I think I almost love stuff that happens off the field more than stuff that happens on the field. I find it so interesting. Anyway, so I will say that regardless of rugby league, don't you just find it like lame in general whenever anything comes up like between employees and a corporation or people and a corporation? Anyone who is on the corporation side, I just find that to be so embarrassing. You know, like to be on the big company side over the actual people or the actual employees. It's like, what are you even talking about? I don't understand. People are so loyal to the NRL saying like the players should just shut up and play. Like, why should they not get what they're after as employees? Like, they're just employees of a company. I know they throw a fucking ball around and they got sick haircuts. It's just employees versus the bloody company they work for. I don't know how anyone... Could, could favor a big corporation over the boys who actually throw the jersey on each week. So bizarre. But so the thing with this is there, a lot of people say like, oh, you, you don't have enough money or whatever. What's the problem? It's not about money. The issue is the allocation of funds for injured players and for retired players who have injuries lasting from their careers in this extremely violent sport. They just want to have more of a say of where the money goes as far as brain scans and that sort of thing. 
And dude, you see all these old blokes. What is with old blokes? I, I hope I don't become cynical when I'm older. Because old people just suck. Like all these old people are like all the old commentators, even old players. I don't understand when old players become media figures and start bashing the players. Like, how many fucking concussions have you had, Gordon Tallis? You were a player. I don't understand. Anyway, this whole thing where it's like, oh, what, you earn 400k a year and you're still not happy? It's like, just because someone earns more money than you doesn't make their requests unreasonable. You know, like, oh, what, 300k a year and you're still not happy? It's like, it doesn't matter. If, if I earn 35k a year and some guy on 80k a year is like, I would like more health insurance at my job. It's like, fucking hell, mate, I'd love to be on 80k. Oh, look at the guy on 80k. What, you don't have enough money over there, mate? Like, it does The number they're making is irrelevant, okay? Like, it's so stupid. Like, this whole greedy players narrative is so lame. Like, oh, they just want money. They just want money. It's like, yeah, dude, they make heaps of fucking money because the game's really popular, okay? That's just what it is. It doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that just because you earn 300k that everything else is out the window. Like, no, for all right, boys, 300k, that's it. The tools are down on any further requests uh, for any any medical things you might need or brain scans or uh, player, player rights as far as insurance or, you know, how many games they can play per year. That's another one of the requirements they're looking for. It's just, it's silly. What, whatever they make a year, it it doesn't matter, okay? It's like when someone serves you up a fucking awful meal and they're like, you know, some bloke in Africa would kill to have this meal. And it's like, well, Jake, that doesn't really change the fact that you've burned the fuck out of this, okay? I know some bloke in Africa would love this, but I asked, med- I asked for medium rare and this isn't even fucking close, okay? I will say though, as far as a media ban in the NRL, I don't know if the one sport where it's notorious that their that player interviews are not only boring, <laughs> provide no further insight to the game, are just sort of cookie cutter player statements from the media manager that provide no further insight or entertainment value whatsoever. I don't know if <laughs> if pulling those away is necessarily the bargaining chip they might think it is. They should just have the media managers and the PR guys come out and do the interviews because they're telling these guys what to say anyway. You know, they should just have the media manager after the game say, here's what... Daily Cherry Evans would have said, he would have said, it's a tough game, we respected our opponents, and we feel very happy to get the win, but at the same time, we've got one eye on next week, and we're not looking past them. They should just have the, the suits come out and read the script anyway. That'd be fucking hilarious. It's like, oh no, are you telling me we're not getting those sweet, sweet interviews where some Fox Sports chick throws a microphone in a guy's face as he's coming off for half time, and he can barely breathe, and he said, yeah, it's a tough game. How are you looking to go in the second half? Looking at play well thanks for your time like oh no <laughs> who what's the point of even watching the games anymore you know <laughs> so yeah they're talking about a player strike i don't know if that's if that's going to happen or not i would like to see it not happen because i enjoy watching the odd game of rugby league but yeah i don't know if this media player interview thing's really holding the weight they think it might um but yeah we'll have to see i'm i'm pro player I don't know how you could not be pro player. Okay, just to bring us home here, I'd like to talk about UFC 290 on the weekend. What a day it was. Ups, downs, everything in between. I will admit, I will come clean. I will put my hand up. Some of my UFC tips 
from last week did in fact turn out to be wrong. I'll admit it, okay? You've got me cornered. Yes, I will admit I was incorrect on a couple of things. But I was correct on um, maybe just the Volk, actually. I was going to really throw throw my correct predictions in your face just then, but I reflected for a second, and I, I think I was wrong almost exclusively across the board. But, hey, those things happen. So a bit of a recap. Shannon Ross, Australian flyweight. Uh, this counts as the project as well. We're celebrating Australian talent here with a UFC crossover. Shannon Ross. Now, you'll notice I didn't actually say anything about Shannon Ross in last week's predictions because he was quite a heavy underdog. And my mum said, if you don't have anything nice to say about someone, you shouldn't say anything. So I didn't like Shannon Ross's chances. And I'm glad I did not shit on him in any way, shape or form because my God, he was knocked out in 17 seconds. And it was such a sickening knockout. I would hate, I would hate for, for my words to have piled on to what has got to be the worst weekend of that poor bloke's life. 17 seconds in, just an overhand right. And it was, like, uh, it was like he got hit with a fucking a spell from Harry Potter, like stupefy, whatever that one that makes you like stiff as a board is. He just went like, like he was made out of wood. Walk-off KO for the Mexican fella he was fighting. I wish him the best. So that was shocking. Uh, I famously said Dan Hooker is going to get absolutely killed by this enormous black guy. And I actually was correct on that. He had his arm broken and his orbital bone in his face broken, clean as well. And he was mercilessly beaten to a pulp, Dan Hooker. Unfortunately, while my prediction was correct that he would get the shit beaten out of him, no one told Dan Hooker that. No one told Dan Hooker I don't know if if Dan Hooker's nerves don't work in his body. I don't know if he legitimately can't feel pain. But he won the fight. He he just, he should have been killed. He got hit with a head kick that sounded like a Ben Stokes cover drive. It was like lightning hitting a tree or something. And he just, he couldn't be stopped. I don't understand. Uh, I will say that I did note in my prediction that his haircut could play a part in this. And all the blood from the beating he was copying went into his hair and turned it like red and pink. He looked like he was turning like Super Saiyan 7 or something. And he won the fight, Dan Hooker, so I don't know. I mean, he, yeah, he, he took as much damage as a man could possibly take while still getting his arm raised at the end. So fair play. I was wrong on that, but I mean, fucking hell. I wasn't far off. And honestly, I'm happy for Dan Hooker. I love Dan Hooker. But it was one of those fights where you just go... Ugh. I mean, yeah, Dan, like, good win. But Jesus Christ, like, that was the number 11 ranked guy. What did that just, like, the amount of brain damage and years it would have taken off his life just to beat the number 11 guy? Like, still probably two fights away from a title shot. And even then, the champion beat him in, like, 40 seconds. I mean, this sport is just brutal. Absolutely brutal, dude. Uh, and then we had Rob Whitaker defeat Drickus. No, sorry, get defeated by Drickus Duplessis, the South African. Now I said on the podcast that this was a lock. I said bet the house. I said unload your superannuation, and my hand is up. Okay, my hand is up. Uh, yeah, I don't even know, dude. Like Rob Whitaker was styling on him for three minutes, and then sort of a South African power up. I'm not sure what happened, but he just beat the fuck out of Rob out of nowhere. 
Uh, I had a nice little KO points multi going as well. I had, even though I said Dan Hooker would lose, I'm still an Anzac at heart. I had Dan Hooker, Rob Whitaker, Volkanovski, all KO points. Once Dan Hooker won, I was I was looking at investment properties in the Adelaide Hills area. Okay, I thought this thing is coming home with a wet sail. You know, Dan Hooker was paying two seventy. Rob and the Volk were paying like a dollar thirty each KO points. I'm looking at fucking three bedroom numbers in Bendigo. I thought, my God, I'm home free. But anyway, that wasn't the case, obviously. Drickers beat the shit out of him and knocked him out, actually, in the second round. I still don't really know what happened. But then, so now Drickers Duplessis is fighting Israel Adesanya for the undisputed middleweight belt. And this one's real weird because I said last week, Drickers Duplessis has been saying that he is the real African fighter and that Israel Adesanya is not a real African because he lives in New Zealand and, uh, what is it, fights out in New Zealand and, yeah, doesn't live there anymore. And he's saying, I breathe African air, I am the real African champion. So then Izzy gets in the cage with him for a face-off and Izzy is like blatantly blind drunk. You know when someone's blind drunk on camera, it's just like not a good look. He's like slurring his words and stuff. And I love Izzy more than anyone. Take a bullet for that bloke. But it's like, yeah, and and yeah, just drunk on camera. Just never a good look. Speaking from experience, by the way. Um, and then they're doing this face off, and it's it's like really heated. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. And. The thing is, Drickus Duplessis, he looks like a supervillain, this bloke. He looks like he would play the the villain in an apartheid movie. You know, he's got blonde hair. He's this jacked up white guy. He's got that Afrikaans accent. Look, I'm not saying all white South African guys are racist. I will say they sound racist. I don't think that's too far of a fucking bow to draw. The South African accent, is just it just sounds hateful, you know? <laughs> like, it just doesn't sound great. It's not easy on the ear. And so they're going back and forth. It's getting real toxic in there, dude. Like, it's so uncomfortable to watch. And so that fight is potentially coming to Sydney. There's a Sydney pay-per-view in September, which hopefully I'll be able to get tickets for. And that fight is coming to town, allegedly. And Drickus has said in the media that he actually, he, he said it's not about race. He never said it's about color. But I think that's pretty... That's pretty by the by. If you if you tell a, a black man who was born in Nigeria he's not a real African and then say, whoa, who's bringing up color? It's like, what are you fucking talking about, brother? You're bringing it up, okay? So I feel like I'm watching the power of one right now. This is uncomfortable. And I'm keen for the scrap. Like, I think Izzy probably kills him, but it's pretty bloody awkward. And I don't know. I hope that fight doesn't come to Sydney because... It's just so uh, uncomfortable, all the race stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, is UFC not violent enough? And it's like, I don't want... I just think it's a bad advertisement for UFC in Sydney as well. Like, I don't want a white guy on a stage at a press conference in Sydney telling a black guy he's not a real African in front of a thousand white guys standing on stolen land from from another race of indigenous people. Like, it's just like a bit too colonial for me, lads, you know? Like, it's not the funnest vibe for a press conference. I just want some guy in Sonny's calling a Brazilian guy a fucking bitch. Is that too much to ask for? You know, I'm just not loving the optics on all this colonial stuff and bringing it to Australia of all places. It's like Drickers, brother. We got a few colonial issues ourselves over here, okay? 
Calm your fucking farm. It's funny, though, because if Izzy doesn't fight Drickus in Sydney, he'll fight Sean Strickland. And Sean Strickland is like just... <laughs> I mean, if if Drickus Duplessis is the most toxic bloke in the middleweight division, then Sean Strickland is an extremely close second. He's like massive Trump supporter, former Nazi skinhead, like extremely sexist. <laughs> it's just... I mean, these cage fighters, dude, they don't help themselves. I'll say that. I mean, we are going to get a blockbuster pay-per-view event in Sydney, Israel Adesanya verse. We can either have a white South African who is insisting that Israel is not a real African and like massive like colonial apartheid vibes, so like just uncomfortable, or we can have a former Nazi skinhead who is a massive Trump supporter and the most sexist man on the planet. And honestly, dude, I would much rather Sean Strickland because at least he's a bit of a laugh. You know what I mean? He when he, when he was in a press conference conference with Izzy, he's just getting into him about like watching anime and saying he jacks off to hentai and stuff. That's funny. That's a bit of a laugh saying he jacks off to hentai, saying he's not actually a real African. It's like Jesus Christ, dude. Even former skinhead Nazi Sean Strickland is like, oh, I don't know about this man. So we'll see how that fight pans out, but. But yeah, the whole thing's just not exactly a vibe. My God. And just to finish up, obviously, patron saint of the podcast, Alex Volkanovsky defended the strap. I'm shocked. I'm blown away. What is this crazy world we live in? Oh my God, who saw that coming? I saw it coming. And it's not it's not exactly a hot take. I think he was paying $1.07 or something. But I did say on the podcast that Yair Rodriguez beating a washed 37-year-old Josh Emmett didn't exactly scream, yeah, dude, I'm going to take down the Volk, the pound-for-pound best fighter on the planet, hailing out a Windang New South Wales brother, okay? Windang in the motherfucking house. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Windang is a hilarious name for a place. And anyway, so Volk just absolutely styled on this bloke. It wasn't close. And I just love the Volk so much. He's the best fighter on the planet. And I've been saying this for ages, but we do not celebrate our own enough in Australia. The best fighter on the planet is from Australia. And you wouldn't bloody know it, you know? He's, he gets no coverage in the mainstream media. And it's, it's like, dude, if aliens came to Earth and they were like, we have to, we're going to fight one of you in hand-to-hand combat with no weapons, we would send the Volk. That's where it's at with this guy. And he's Australian. I can't believe it. Uh, he just inspires me so much. What a guy. He's just some guy. Do you know what I mean? Like this whole narrative in the UFC, they always say he was a rugby league player. He's come from rugby. He was a semi-professional rugby league player. He played like New South Wales Cup. It was, it's not like he's some freak athlete like Jared Hayne going to the NFL or something. Do you know what I mean? He's not like one of these former NFL players who become UFC fighters. Uh, usually after a domestic disturbance, but and then they're like just unbelievable athletes, and they've already they already just need to learn some skills to couple with their freak athletic ability. He's just some guy. I just love him. I love him. And uh, there's this Irish boxer, Katie Taylor, who I also love. But I was watching this podcast before her last fight, and this Irish journalist was saying he was just frothing on Katie Taylor, and he was saying like Katie Taylor. 
the reason Ireland loves Katie Taylor so much. Katie Taylor is what Ireland could be. Like she is what all of us could be if we put in the work. And that's how I feel about the Volk. Like the Volk is just a beam of fucking light. Like we could all just be unbelievable and great and do whatever we want if we just fucking have a crack. That's why I love the Volk so much. The finishing sequence he knocked over Yair with, it was like he went like avatar mode or something. He was in the avatar state. It was like he hit him with a right hook. Then he like threw him down, like ran to the cage, body shots, then picked him up and dropped him on his head, then finished him with ground and pound. It was like all four elements at once. It's fucking insane, dude. Oh my God. And they're saying Ilya Taporia is next for the Volk. Uh, if he doesn't fight Islam, which I don't think the timing will work out on that. Uh, so, yeah, Ilya Taporia, again, just coming off beating Josh Emmett. So that's pretty cool. I think I'm fighting Josh Emmett next week, so I'm looking forward to that. But Ilya Taporia, that's a cool fight because Ilya Taporia is very exciting, but also very attractive. Ilya Taporia is such a sexy Spanish man, and his, his girlfriend is even hotter. So Volk will definitely win, but also Ilya Taporia... I'd be looking forward to seeing what he would wear to the press conference because he's very fresh. Um, and then I think, I don't know who's going to fight Islam Makachev because I don't think it's going to work out with the timing for De Bronx. Michael Chandler might end up fighting Islam while he waits for Conor McGregor. He knocks out Islam for some reason and then we do Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler to decide who the true African king of the UFC is. So that's what I'm thinking for that. Go the Volk. You inspire me every day, you short king. Thanks for listening. Uh, no Rowan this week. He is gravely ill, unfortunately. So wish him the best. And oh, there was an Ashes recap on Monday. I forgot to say, if you're into that sort of thing. But yeah, dude, thanks for listening. Wow.